0: Okay, if you have your Bibles and want to turn, we've had two weeks away from 1 Corinthians and we're jumping back in today. And I was really grateful for elders last week and, and Alan who taught on rest. And you look very rested. That's good. We are too. But I want to say this, okay? We went on vacation with the girls down in Southern California. And it's one of the worst things you can have when the little airplane thing says delayed. And ours said delayed when we were supposed to come back. And it was a four-hour delay. So there we were, and we thought we were going to come home yesterday, at kind of midday, but now it's going to be late, late, late. And, 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 and then we all got on, and everyone's tired, and everyone's kind of sad and, and on the plane. But then what happened was the guy in the row behind me and one of the steward people started going after each other. They got all snarky at each other. And so they, what they did was they pulled the plane back to the gate, and they took off that guy that was behind me. And then afterwards, so there's another half an hour. We're all like, and then another then, then the, the steward comes up and he kind of looks at all of us around this little area. And he says, anyone else have any trouble? <laughs> we're all like, no, no trouble. I feel like sometimes we think of God that way. It's like we're just waiting to do something a little wrong or we slip into a little snarkiness or we do something not quite right and we think maybe he's gonna get us. We think, oh no, I've gotta keep it together. You know, I'm gonna keep it all right. And, and so we go through the Bible and we try and do all the things just so because we don't want God to get us. We're kind of powerless and he could just kick us off the plane. <laughs> It's used a lot with this very passage we're in today, and so I, I I want to talk to you about communion. That's what we get to talk about. It's wonderful. It's amazing, and we're going to talk about it in First Corinthians. But but it's it's often phrased, and even I put it as the title for you. Not appears so we're remembering communion, but to do it in a manner worthy. And as soon as I say in a manner worthy, I start thinking of getting kicked off the airplane. I start thinking of those things. So I I want you to understand what that is. I want you to rejoice today. I want you to know deep in your heart and deep in your soul who this father is that you have and what communion actually is saying when you do it. So we get to look at that and and hopefully understand the heart of our God today. And to do that, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you're not there, turn on over if you have your Bible. We're going to pick it up in verse 17. Because I'll tell you sometimes, honestly, the, even with this, even with us, we're called Grace Church Bellingham. And sometimes people hear grace or they hear gospel and they think weak. They think, oh, you're a church that doesn't really care about holding standards or doing things or somehow there's not, there's not importance to, to, to the things we do and you're just loosey-goosey all the time and that's who you are. And, and so I just want you to hear, as the text goes this morning, that some things are more important than others. Some things are really important to your Christian life, and some things not so much so. So as we look first, and we're going to look at genuine Christianity first, I I, I just want to pick it up with where we were last week. Well, three weeks ago now, because you probably don't even remember, we talked about head coverings. I'm so grateful that there's so many head coverings this morning. (laughs) No. Why? Because Paul essentially, even at the end of that, if you read the end of the head coverings passage, he says, hey, this isn't that big a deal. If anyone wants to argue about it, we don't even have such an issue. You can see that in verses 15 and 16. But then he turns to this morning and he says, now there is something that's a big deal. So let's look, let's pick it up together, and I I want you to get an understanding. First, genuine Christianity is at stake, and so he says this, but in the following, verse 17 instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, But for the worse, whoa. So he's heard something. Now he's not answering a question like he was with head coverings. He's not going through and just answering the things that they have trouble with. He's heard something, and he's not happy. He's not afraid to call them out. He's not weak. Uh, The issue is, is always for him. What are you going to stand on? When you get together, he says, it's not for the better, it's for the worse. You damage yourselves. Whoa. Okay, my ears kind of perk up. I come to church a lot. I I, I live for the church. I I love Sunday mornings and say, wow, is it possible we come together on Sundays and we might damage ourselves? What's what's that? Loud music? I knew it. Too short of a sermon? Never. Not enough reading of Scripture. Finally, what's the problem? Okay, well, here's the problem. For in the first place... When you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Whoa. So he says, he says that, right? I've heard of a major problem, and it's divisions, factions, factions. And, and really, he's already spent chapters, we spent the first few chapters of this whole epistle that he sent talking about why there shouldn't be factions, so we've heard lots of it already and, and yet he brings it up again, there's a problem, it's, it's always an issue this idea of unity. This issue is so huge, and the factions are revealing, he says, that some people aren't genuine. Now, now I'm really listening. I mean, there could be people in church and they're, they're not really genuine Christians. <laughs> I knew that person wasn't really genuine. Isn't this kind of a central issue for all of us? Are we genuine? Are we really Christians? And, and we know, I, I know my life and I kind of think about it and I think of the ways I fail and I think of how I'm not who I should be or, or sometimes I think of other people and how they aren't who they should be, certainly not towards me. And, and, and I can get in this cycle of thinking, in this genuine, not genuine kind of thinking that's all around how people are acting towards me or how I'm acting. So what's the issue for Paul? What highlights this for Paul? When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. So the issue for Paul, it's not, it's not some other acts of obedience. It's not some, some moral behavior. It's, it's not some way that they're dressing. It's not some songs that they're singing. It, it, it's all about how they're taking communion. When you come together, Paul says, you're not eating the Lord's Supper. There's something important, and it's this, the table of the Lord, communion, the Lord's Supper. The very important ordinance, this incredible remembrance, this imaging you and I do, and Paul says says that he's angry at them because they aren't imaging it well. And, and and literally kind of the flavor it gives, right, is they're diving in, and each one's getting his own meal. Like somehow it's common, it's profane, and so one person gets drunk, and there's not enough for another person to even eat. And and the way they did it, right, it's not like us where they pass little pieces of bread and little little ju- juice containers. They had a meal. Usually after service, they'd all come together, and they'd, they'd eat together. And, and what he's saying is some people were going first, and they were eating it all. They were chowing down. but really what he's saying is they're acting like it's nothing. So he says this. He says, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. I'm mad, he says. I'm not going to minimize this for you. Do you despise the church of God? That's what you're doing, you know, as you do this. Do you humiliate those who have nothing? You see the image of the one person stuffed and the next person having nothing? This is the, the definition of distinctions, factions. The haves and the have-nots, imaging it. it it's not a question of, by the way, so, so, so people use this, and they go, right, say, okay, well, look, look, look. They're supposed to love each other better, and they're supposed to love each other by taking care of the person who's hungry, and that's not the issue. Not it. Not a question of making sure you have lots of good works. This is an issue of do you understand the gospel? Are you Christ's? Are you genuine? Yeah. Miles. There was this, uh, who took the girls to Disneyland, is where you were, and they, they have these, displays all over with pins on them. And a lot of people, they trade pins, you know. So they have these lanyards, and they have these pins all over, and you walk up, and you find a pin you like, and you trade for it. But the thing is, there's, there's the influx, and over the last years, there's been this influx of thousands and thousands of pins from China. And they're, they're not the real pins. They still trade them but 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 i can't even tell you know and so, so so you're looking at beautiful pins and you're trading them and you think they all look okay they look fine but, but then it turns out some of them are fake and you go up to somebody who really knows and they've got their pins laid out and you say oh i want to trade i'd like that one and you take one off your your little chain and you try and give it to him and so i don't want that one that one's fake what it's beautiful it's Mickey Mouse no, 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 you see, if you know what to look for. Well, what are you looking for? What is it? Teach me, train me. And here's Paul, he's saying, I want to train you. This is the key. This is the key thing for you to have if you're a Christian. Do you understand what you're doing? Big deal. So, so Paul, he, he's a master. He says, look at this. And, and I say, wait a minute. Wait, oh, whoa, wait, 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 wait. The little cracker thing, the little bit of juice that we do every so often, well, that, that, that's the main, what, I don't understand, that's so important. Yeah, this is the critical thing for you and me. You're gathered here today to understand what genuine communion is. Totally life-changing, absolutely important. You get it. That let's let's talk about it. Because Paul says this, right? He says, For I receive from the Lord what I delivered to you. So stop there for a minute. He goes into this ritual that we read all the time and we take communion. But do we really think about what he's saying? He said, But I receive from the Lord what I deliver from you. He's, Paul is talking. And we remember Paul when he received from the Lord. Remember? He was a killer of Christians. He was a persecutor of the church. He would go, we've got to stamp this out. These guys, they aren't following the law rightly. They're all doing things wrong. We're going to go get them. And so he was getting them. And then on that road to Damascus, all of a sudden, the blazing light. And, and he couldn't see. His eyesight was taken away from him. But he met with Jesus. Why are you persecuting me, Paul? And he had this understanding directly from Christ. He had these scales that went over his eyes that eventually came off. It's this metaphor, this amazing image of him understanding that, that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the light, that he's the bread from heaven, that he's he, he's a living water. And he says, hey, I, I'm delivering this to you, this really important idea, that the Lord Jesus... On the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I don't want you to miss any piece of this. We do it quickly, often on Sundays. The Lord Jesus. You see, I said, Jesus, our Lord. He's the one that's in charge. He's the exalted one. He's the one. On the night he was betrayed, you remember that night, right? The the single most important night, when he was alone, he had no help. He had no aid. He had no succor. He had no, no kindness. He had no one with him. Everybody abandoned him, and he's alone there. He knows he's going to the cross alone. And in the midst of that night, when he would be beaten and betrayed, he established this for us. Communion. He gave thanks, knowing what he was doing, right? He didn't he didn't wail in sadness. He gave thanks and he broke the bread and he gave it to his own. This is my body, he said. The, the, the bread, the body of Jesus, which is for you so that's jesus saying that his his body is for you i'm your bread says jesus right take me in we remember right remember we remember then the words of jesus we read them extensively this morning but we even go back you go back to the wilderness when god saved his people out of egypt out of the world and he brought them through the red sea and he has his nation there and he's taking them to the promised land but they need food so what does he do manna from heaven it falls from the sky, and his people eat, and they're, they're saved. And, 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 and that manna, though, they had to gather every day. And so Jesus talks about it in, in John 6, where he says, Hey, I'm the bread from heaven. If you eat this, you'll live forever. I'm the bread of life, he says. Whoever eats from me will never hunger. Not, 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 not I stuff myself and you go hungry. But hey, look at what we've been given. All of us have this amazing Christ. All of us, if we eat of Christ, will never hunger again. This is, this is deep stuff. There's a wonder to it. There's an incredible celebration of Christ for us, of his body given, of God become man and saying, I, I, I am doing this for you. D- do you receive it? We remember, and in the same way, verse twenty-five. What does it mean the same way? He said he just did it. He, he's he's giving them something. He's he's establishing something. He's he took the cup after supper, saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood." It just gets deeper, right? Jesus, he's going to go to the cross alone. He says, take in my blood. It's the new covenant, the new agreement, the new promise, the promise of Jeremiah that that God says, I'm going to do something new, not like the old covenant, not like the covenant of the law, not like the covenant that says, hey, if you do this, you will be blessed, and if you don't do it, you'll be cursed. I'm going to do something totally different. I'm going to do something that gives you a new heart. And here's Jesus, the son of God, and he says, hey, when you need to do this, take the cup. This is the new covenant in my blood. Take it in. So, so, so the issue shifts, right? It shifts from how well have you done to keep the law to what? Are your lips bloody? It's an amazing image, isn't it? It's an offensive image, isn't it? It's, it's close. The closest thing I can think of is I'm like a doorpost painted with the blood of the lamb and the, the Passover lamb coming to kill. And if you got the blood on you, you live. It's not like if you've been an extra good doorpost. It's you have the blood on you. In Hebrews, it talks about how the blood of goats and bulls couldn't do anything permanent. They had to keep having rivers of blood. And it says, but there's this once and for all sacrifice. His name is Jesus, and he did it, and it is finished. The once for all willing sacrifice of God himself. It's what establishes covenant. It's our promise from God. So do you see it? Communion is our hope of heaven, the once and for all sacrifice of the lamb, willingly, alone, no help, no further steps, just that reality. Maybe it's too much to say bloody lips. But it's a stunning image, a harsh image, a brutal image, not a pretty cleaned up one. Drink the blood. No, I I would never do that. Well, then you'll have no part of me. I think that's why he says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We image this often. When we do, it's in remembrance of this piece of what it means to be a Christian. In remembrance, that, that that doesn't mean we remember what he looked like. I have no idea what Jesus looked like. Did he have long hair or short hair? Was he dark-skinned or light-skinned? Was he tall or short? Was he big, wide, or skinny as a rail? I have no idea. I, I can't remember that. There's no data for me. I can remember this. His blood is the new covenant. His body was given for we remember this is our only hope. This is the ground we stand on. This is everything. I proclaim, he says, as often as you eat of this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, so, so that word, that, that proclaim, it, mean, it means we announce, right? We yell out, we, we proclaim the death of God for us. We, we announce, we yell out, we proclaim that we killed him. He went to the cross for us. We announce, we yell out, we proclaim that any can partake. There's enough for all. We do this until He comes again. This is what we call communion. All of us together in one room, proclaiming with our actions, with our partaking, that Jesus Christ is our only hope. He, the bread of life, He, the blood that saves. We take them in together. So so we keep no person from this. We invite all because we were gifted this, right? N- n- not some miserly man, prove to me that you're worthy to have the ticket and I'll give it to you. This is so hard for me. Sorry, Disneyland story number four. Whatever. You know that um, Disneyland has fast pass rides? You heard of that? So you have these rides that you wait to go on, and they're, you know, pretty rides or whatever. You know, they last two seconds, but they're pretty and wonderful. And you wait for an hour to go on them if you're standing in line. But they have this system where you can get an extra, you can get in faster. It's called a fast pass. So you can go and get it, and, and those people get to cut the line. And everybody who's in there watching these people come in, and, and so you're in this super long line, and the people have the fast pass just walk right up to the front. You know what? everybody's okay with that why it's the system you can go get your fast pass you can do it too but i'll tell you what's not okay i was standing in line at the jungle thing whatever the the, god i forget what it's called with the kids they're gonna go watch the fake elephants who have trunks they tell jokes the whole time it's really funny and some kid cut the line everybody was like no way you can't cut the line that's not fair Well, why was it okay for the fast pass person to cut the line? Because them's the rules. If you'll just play by the rules, it's okay. But if you just get in, that's not okay. You see that inside, you start to do this. You start to go, Why? Because I've been waiting. I want my turn. It's not fair. Here comes the cross of Christ. What does it say? The gates are open wide. Take it in. Everybody all together. There's not coming first and coming second. They're not rushing and make sure you're the very first person in because there's only a limited amount of tickets and you might not get in. It's everybody far and wide. Taste the blood. Take in the bread. It's for you. Will you do it? It totally goes against my flesh. We keep no person from this. We invite all because this is our Savior who died for the world. Oh, there are many. Don't do this if you don't understand what you're doing, so we'll say that right. We'll say don't take this if you don't understand. Because because you know what you're doing, you're partaking of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's a brutal thing. Okay. This is important. This is important to Paul. This is really critical to to how he thinks about Christianity. He says you've got to get this right. In fact, this is what defines you if you understand the gospel because this is what the gospel is. And you know what? Therefore, there's this genuine examination you can do. And I know, I know you say the word examination. I say the word examination to myself. I start to get prickly skin. Because I'm worried about what you're going to say to me. Am I going to get kicked off the plane? Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Feel it. There's a way to be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. There's an unworthy manner that you can take in this communion. And, and, and now we're talking about something that's super important for all of us to hear that's so critical because Paul cares about this. And we've seen what it is, this amazing thing he got from Jesus himself and he establishes for us to stand on that we all together proclaim Christ until he comes. But there's an unworthy manner that you can do it. When I say that, what do you think? i know where i've been taught so many times i got to make sure i'm good enough for jesus isn't that where people go i got to make i got to be worthy to take in the blood i'm going to make myself what does that mean to make yourself worthy so we start looking around the bible for how i'm going to make myself worthy and it comes in like we pull in the sermon on the mount maybe if i do the sermon on the mount i'll be worthy you know like Never commit adultery, never do murder, or never call it be angry. Uh, you know what? If anyone has anything against me, I'm not going to take communion. Because he says there, leave your gift on the altar. And then go, remember Matthew 5? Is communion about you leaving, bringing a gift to God? Dude, I want a chorus of no's. No! No! No, it's nothing about you bringing a gift to God. It's not about you presenting yourself to God like you're worthy. It's not about, oh, come with me while we present ourselves worthy to God. Boy, boy, oh, wait a minute. You, you don't deserve to be on the plane. Fingers will fly. Pointing will happen. None of us are worthy to be on the plane. If the idea is you're partaking in a worthy manner it means you're cleaned up. You're obedient. You're being the best you you can be. Because all of that is about you. And communion is about who? Here's a hint, not you. It's about Jesus. The whole thing he's mad at them about is because they're thinking some people are more worthy. They get to come and pig out. The other people don't get any. Why not? Because they're not worthy. Even if you define worthiness by who gets there early enough. And that's not how we define worthiness. We define it as who's the most personally holy. Who's the most well put together? Who's the most blessed externally? However you want to say those things, striving for obedience. I've I've been in, we've been here. I've been in churches where this is what they say to you. They say, hey, we we, we actually invite you, if you're striving to live in obedience, we, we invite you to partake in a worthy manner. What does that say to you? If I'm not obedient enough, I better not partake. Does communion have anything to do with your obedience? No, it has a lot to do with your disobedience. You killed Jesus. He says, eat me. Literally, come, partake of my, my body, partake of my blood. And it's like, oh my goodness, it's just, it's almost raw in its association. Of you're unworthy. He's giving this, by the way, communion. He's establishing communion to a bunch of, of guys who are going to betray him. They're leaving. None of them are with him when he dies. Remember, Jesus looks across the room at Peter as the cock crows the third time. Peter has already taken communion. Why? Jesus adores him. (laughs) <laughs> this is radical. And so you come to this idea. Come right behind it is this statement. Look, let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And oh no, fear strikes because this, this, I gotta examine myself and so this matters and here I go and and, and, and I'm right back, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, and here and, and I'm thinking about ideas about getting cleaned up and, and dressed up and, and, and then wait a minute, examine myself, let's do it, I'm going to put the mirror up like James says, the mirror of the law, and I'm going to look at that mirror, and I'm going to examine myself, and what I'm going to see is not pretty, what I'm going to see is a failure, What I'm going to see is someone who didn't keep the law. What I'm going to see is a person in need. A person in need of what? (laughs) Could I say it better? A person in need of who? Jesus. The worthy manner that I come to the table in is the manner that says, I need him. I need him. And so I examine myself, and what do I see? I see someone who needs Jesus. Not someone who used to need Jesus, but now by lots of hard work and, and and progression in my personal sanctification, I don't really need Jesus anymore. I needed him then, but man, now me and the Holy Spirit got it conquered. No, the Holy Spirit reminds me yet again, I need Jesus. I need him more now than ever. And and my life is like that. And and, and that's what's going on. And and, and so this. This idea comes that when you and I examine ourselves and we see that others do have something against you, that you aren't who you should be, that you're condemned by the law, that you have no hope of standing before God, then you're ready to say, i have examined myself. I can partake of the offer of Christ that he says, I love you. I gave myself for you. My blood has cleansed you. It's called forgiveness. And it's full and free. This is the opposite of what many people believe in communion. They feel like they're coming to God as the sacrifice. Like, here I am, Lord, to lay my sacrifice down at your table and I'll partake of... Partake of what? Yourself. You are partaking of Christ. So, if you're discerning then, Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. To be discerning is to discern the body. We're in need of Jesus. We're not in different gradations of good and bad, in different groups of good and bad. We're not in any of that. We're in one group of needing Jesus. That's what he's saying. That's why many of you are weak. And ill, he says, that's why some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we wouldn't be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so we may not be condemned. Along with the world. Right, So 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 here's the thought for you and me, walking this through and understanding then, here I am, I'm going to partake it in a worthy manner when I take communion, which means Jesus is my only hope. I'm going to examine myself and see, oh, I can't stand on my own ever, and, and therefore I'm going to see you and look at the body and see, yeah, we need Jesus. If instead, you come and take communion, not looking for mercy, which is freeing because you get it. But looking for approval, I think Paul says this is why many of you are weak. Why? Because it's crazy stressful. You do understand medically. I'm a medical doctor too. Let me put on the hat. Stress kills you. Living under disapproval kills you. Living under this hard thing kills you. And somehow to say, okay, you're going to take communion with a way that says, I'm going to bring to God my goodness. When you know in your heart is not good enough, we'll put you on a cycle of constantly trying to be good enough for God. Guess what? It's stressful. It will kill you. I mean, like no fun life kill you. Ill and weak. If you judged yourself truly, i.e., you've got nothing, then you wouldn't be judged. Why? Because mercy because forgiveness. Because you know when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined. You know what? The discipline of a dad is awesome. If your dad loves you, your dad loves you. He adores you. Lean in. He'll discipline you. No worry. You're going to need some discipline. Yeah, me too. But this underlying piece, so important for you and me, that communion's about us having nothing and us taking in Jesus. So then, my brothers, he ends, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment, but other things I'll give directions when I come. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, hey, you need to image this rightly. You need not to think you got to get there early so you can chow down, that there's not going to be enough you got to not think that there's some people better than others and they get to go to the front and other people are in the back. You need to think this way, not because that's love, that somehow you're loving them. You need to think this way because it's truth. You all got nothing. We just have Jesus. And if we can drive that into our hearts together, oh, we can come and worship this king and image that in communion. And Jesus, who said in John 6, we read it, right? I am the living bread, says Jesus Christ that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I call you to that this morning. I call you to make that the frame of what you proclaim and believe and live in, that the gates are open to all. The price is giving up hope in yourself and putting your hope in the body and blood of Jesus. And when we get to take communion, that you treasure that because of what it means. The new covenant in the blood of Christ. Here's the thing. Time has gone by. The first day we went to Southern California, I took the girls to Disneyland. But we didn't go in. We just walked around and looked. You know why I did it? One, it's really expensive going to go into Disneyland. We don't go on every day. But the real reason was this. I wanted them to see and anticipate. So you get a week now to see and anticipate. Next week, we're going to take communion together. And I want you to think this week about how we have nothing. And Jesus is your everything. And you want everyone around you to be invited into this communion, this offer of who Jesus Christ is in his body and blood. So next week we'll partake. We're not partaking this week. This week we get to think about it. Next week we get to do.